Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Well, today we're going to continue a series of messages that we began on the Valley of Baca. And, and honestly, this is the third message, I believe, and we are going to get done with the introduction. So then Randy's going to be here, and then I'm going to take three weeks and talk about how to make it a spring, how to take the troubles of your life, right, and bring victory into that situation. But Psalms 84, verse 4 says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, that's the valley of weeping. Right? When, when, the, when the bad stuff shows up, and I want to say this about everybody's life. Things may be going really, really great today, and I praise God for it. But there's going to be a day that there's going to be trouble. Right? The Bible says if you faint in the day of adversity, how small is your strength? Right? So in everybody's life, at some point, there's going to be a day of adversity. Right? And in the day of adversity is not the day you get ready for the day of adversity. Right? You get ready for the day of adversity beforehand. Right? So you're going to pass through that valley of Baca, that valley of weeping. But notice it's passed through. It's not where you're supposed to live. And some people take what should be a page in the book of their life, and they make it the whole book, right? But God's plan is for you to pass through. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Not live there. It's a place you pass through. It says they make it a spring, right? They is you. So often people think, well, it's whatever God's going to do. No, the Bible says that God equips you. And it's what you do in that situation that makes a difference. You make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools, and they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So we're going to look at that fifth verse today. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. The Bible tells us in Philippians 3 and verse 20, it says, Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, our our son-in-law is uh, from Australia. He and our daughter, a pastor at church in, in uh, Grand Haven. And uh, because he was born in Australia, obviously, he's an Aussie. Uh, went through all the classes and became a U.S. citizen. And boy, we celebrated that day. But your citizenship is in heaven. Not because you took a class, right? But when you were joined to Christ, you became a part of his kingdom. And the most important thing, I'm going to say it this way. The most important thing about you is what you believe about God. But the second most important thing about you, listen, is how you host the presence of God and bring or manifest the kingdom of God. 
See, when you go someplace, the kingdom of God is supposed to show up. So our citizenship is in heaven. Colossians 3, verse 1 says, If you were raised with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind or your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, notice it says to set your affection on things above. Jesus tells us, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He's telling us the same thing. We need to have our affection set on things above. Uh, Last week was Super Bowl. How many of you knew that? I found out on Super Bowl Sunday. Somebody says, it's Super Bowl today. I said, really? And they said, you know who's playing? I said, no, I don't even care. I don't care who's playing. Um, but but, but now, this is not to, not, not to put anybody about. But some of you, you know who was playing. You knew every player. You knew all the statistics about the player. Right? Some of you, you know all about the NBA. Some of you know all about NFL. Some of you, you know all about golf. Right? And, and you, know, you, you know the best players. You, you know everything about them. Right? I don't know anything about them. But let me just say, people say to me, man, Pastor, you sure do know a lot of Bible. Yes, I do. But you know why? Because I set my affections there. Right? That's where I set my affection. Somebody says, well, you sure memorize a lot of verses. No, I didn't memorize any verses. I just read them a lot. Just meditated on them a lot. Right? Now, I- I've been saved for 49 years. Right away when I got saved, I was just so hungry for God. I just started reading the Bible, right? And, and, and for, for over 45 years, I just would start in Genesis and go to Revelation. Genesis, Revelation, Genesis, Revelation, all right? And I would read between 10 and 20 chapters every day, except for about three months where there was a, uh, a pastor I really respected, and he had a different program. And I tried to read in his program, and I didn't like it, so I went back to mine, all right? So I have read the Bible minimum, absolute minimum, cover to cover, for 120 times, probably 150 times, cover to cover, right? Now, somebody said, well, that's because you're a pastor. No, listen, listen, I'm a pastor because I read the Bible 120 times, cover to cover. I didn't read the Bible because I was a pastor. I became a pastor because that's what I did, right? You say, why? Because that's where my affection was, right? Yeah, if your affection's in the NFL, it'll show up. If, you know, if your affection is in the NBA, it'll show up. But if your affection's in the Bible, if your affection's in the kingdom of God, it'll show up. It'll show up. In fact, the psalmist says his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. Now, now your delight, listen, is what you do whenever you get a chance. I mean, what do you do when you get some free time? Just ask him. Just ask him. Right? But our delight should be in the law of the Lord. We're to seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, your affection on things above. Right? You need to set your affection. Right? I'm going to tell you, every morning um, I get up, first thing I do is I go sit in my chair for an hour. You say, what do you do? I read my Bible for an hour. Every morning. You say, why? 
because that's my, I get up extra early so I can do that, right? That's my affection. Now, the Bible says we need to set our affection. It says your life is hid with Christ and God. Listen, not your Sunday life, not your spiritual life. Your life is hid with Christ in God. So the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, that you are an ambassador for Christ. So when you show up, listen, the kingdom of God is supposed to show up. Remember, Jesus' message was, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. When it says it at hand, this is what it means. It's here, it's available, it's now, and it's for you. Right? So you're an ambassador for that kingdom. Right? So when you show up, the kingdom of God shows up at school, at work. When you, when you go out to a restaurant, when you show up, the kingdom should be showing up. You are an ambassador every place you go for the kingdom of God. Now, talking about setting our affection, there's a few verses uh, I want to share with you. Hebrews 11 to start with. Um, I love this chapter, by the way. In Hebrews 11, 20 times, you read this little phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Uh, in fact, Jesus said when he comes back, he said, will I even find faith on the earth? Jesus is looking for faith. That's what God's looking for, right? But here it says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy, listen, enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, somebody said, sin's bad and it's no fun. You just didn't do it right. Because if you do it right, it's fun. The Bible says, enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Right? Now, now, here's the thing uh, about sin, right? When, when you sin, it's like you sow a seed, right? But you don't get a harvest today. You may not get a harvest next week or next month or even next year, but you are going to get a harvest, right? That's why the Bible says there's a passing pleasure, right? So Moses is brought up as Pharaoh's adopted son, actually his grandson, and he's in Pharaoh's house. Everything that, that Egypt, the most powerful empire on the world, had to offer, it was available to Moses in spades. But he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. So he said, here's all the world has to offer, and here's all the trouble I'm going to have if I go God's way. But he chose God's way because he looked to his reward. In other words, he was looking beyond the things of this life. Right? You, you and I need to do the same thing. We need to look beyond this life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, it, it says, well, we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, temporary, subject to change. But the things that are not seen are eternal. So Moses chose the reproach of Christ, because he considered it greater riches because he looked to his reward. Now, Moses has been in heaven for roughly 3,500 years. Now, I want to tell you something. Moses has no regrets. 
Moses doesn't go back and say, oh, man, look what I missed out on. I could have had this house. I could have had 150 wives. I could have had this. I could have had that. I could have had... Moses does not look back and go, man, I missed it. Moses looks back and goes, best decision I ever made. Put first the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Be willing to suffer for doing what's right. Hebrews 11, verse 14. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then Hebrews 11 and verse 10, for he, Abraham, looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So they look beyond this life. In Revelation 20, Jesus said, behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to what he's done. One translation says it this way. It says, and my paycheck is in my hand to give to everyone according to what he has done. So they're looking beyond this life. And by the way, it says that they're looking for a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. Um, how many of you realize that our, our, the world we're living in is going pretty crazy? You know? and, and I've had quite a few people lately who've come up and said, Pastor, is it like the end of the world? Is, it the, is the end of the world coming? Look at how crazy things are. You think the end of the world, Jesus coming and the end of the world. Listen, I do believe Jesus is coming soon. But when Jesus comes, it is not the end of the world. Right? Revelation chapter 20, look at the first six verses. This is what it says. He's going to reign a thousand years, 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 and a thousand years. Just in case you missed it, a thousand years. Right? He's going to rule and he's going to reign a thousand years. And after that is what is called the eternal kingdom. Right? And we're going to get to some of that in just a moment. But your citizenship is in heaven. So we are in this world, but we are not to be of the world. Right? When we receive Jesus, we receive him as Lord or as King. And remember, his message is repent for the kingdom of God is here. It's now. It's for you. He told us to pray your kingdom come. See, what most of us as Christians think is this. I'm a Christian, so I'll die and go to the kingdom. Now, it's true. If you die, you're going to go to heaven. But Jesus' message was not die and go to heaven. Jesus' message was the kingdom of heaven is for you now, today. Not when you die. No, it's for you when you die. But it's also for you right now. Right? So the kingdom... Jesus said, your kingdom come. Not, I'm going to die and go there, but your kingdom come. Again, the most important thing about you, what you believe about God, the second most important thing about you is how you host the presence of God and the kingdom of God that's inside of you. Right? What are you doing with that kingdom? Wherever Jesus is king, that's where the kingdom is. Where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, that's where the kingdom is. Right? 
So if Jesus came back today, he would rule and reign for a thousand years. It's not the end of the world, right? And at the end of the thousand years, right, is what the Bible refers to as the eternal kingdom. So Revelation 21, uh, it says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now it's literally a new atmosphere and a new earth. For the first heaven atmosphere and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven for God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more pain, sorrow, crying, nor shall there be for the, excuse me, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, right, for these words are true and faithful. Most of us still have the picture that heaven is going to be floating on a cloud, wearing a sheet, eating grapes, playing a harp with naked babies, with little bow and arrows floating around in the air, right? That's what most people think of heaven. I've heard people say, I don't even want to go to heaven, right? Well, listen, heaven is on earth. That's what it says, that what makes heaven heaven is God's city, and God moves his city down to the earth. God's plan, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, God and mankind are in this beautiful, beautiful garden, and God is having fellowship with man. Go to Revelation 21, and you've got God and man in this beautiful, recreated world or garden, and God and man are having fellowship. We're just going back to God's original plan, right? And the idea that it's going to be just some spiritual, spooky thing is not Bible. And by the way, every Christian group believes this. If you're Catholic, if you're Baptist, if you're Calvinist, if you're Pentecostal, I don't care which group, everybody believes this, all right? Unfortunately, most people don't understand that because we talk about it so little, right? But heaven is not floating on a cloud. Heaven is going to be on this earth in a new, recreated, uncursed earth with God's presence right here having fellowship with us. That, to me, is really good news. All right. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 7, that in the ages to come, catch that, ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ. Um, the, the theological word that is used is dispensation. Now, what it means is this. It's, it, a dispensation is a way God deals with people, right? So in the Garden of Eden, there was the dispensation of innocence. God dealt with mankind as a, in a certain way. Then man sins. And from Adam to Noah, God dealt with man in a certain way, a certain dispensation, right? Then from Noah to Moses, there's a certain way God is dealing with humanity, a dispensation. 
Then from Moses to Jesus, the gospel of John says that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So from Moses to Jesus, God dealt with man in a certain way. But then Jesus came. Right? And God began to deal with mankind based on what Jesus has done. Right? Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that God was in Christ restoring the world to himself, no longer holding men's sins against them, but blotting them out. Right? God is dealing with humanity in a different way. Right? Now, here's what some people do. They say that was true from Jesus until John the Apostle died. God, man, he was moving. There was healings. There was miracles. There was deliverance. There was people being baptized in the Holy Ghost. All things were happening until John the Apostle died. And then everything changed. Now God basically says, look, suck it up. You're going to make it. Someday you'll die and go to heaven. Right? Like God's not doing anything anymore. Right? God has changed the way that he deals with humanity. Right? Now, let me just say that that is not true. Number one, Romans chapter one in verse 16 says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. What is the power of God? The gospel is the power of God. Um, I was thinking about it this morning. David said this. He said, I was young and now I'm old. He says, and this is what I know. Right? There are some things you gain by experience. Right? How many of you old people know there are advantages to being old? Not many people want to admit that they're old, but you are. All right. So here's what, here's what I've seen through the years. I've seen people emphasize different things. I remember the shepherding movement when, when they said the way God moves is you got to be in submission to somebody and you got to tell them all your problems and all kinds of stuff. I remember the deliverance movement. I remember the small group movement. I remember the worship movement. You know, the only way we're going to have the power of God is if we do this. I remember the prayer movement. And the only way we're going to have the power of God is if we do this. But listen, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. What is, the, what is the power of God? The gospel. The good news about what Jesus did for you and for me is the power of God. So this is what it means. When you believe the message of the gospel, the power of the event is present. In other words, Jesus went to the cross and took your sin, but you can visit that moment when Jesus went to the cross, you can visit that moment in time by faith. And when you do, the exact same power that was there when Jesus was raised from the dead is there for your life, to change your life, to save you, to deliver you, to heal you. The power is present when you believe the message. The gospel is the power of God. Right? So the people who tell us, oh, God used to do that, but he doesn't do it anymore. Well, they don't understand this, that the gospel, it is the power, right? Here's God's plan, Ephesians 3.10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. 
So God's plan is that through the church. Now, the church is not this building. You are the church, right? His wisdom, what he did in Christ, would be made known by the church to principalities and powers. That's Satan and demon power, right? Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. Your problem, your enemy, is not your boss. Your enemy is not, I'm going to say this, your mother-in-law. Your enemy is not a political philosophy. We are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies. Your real enemy is a person, a personality, a spiritual being that does not have a physical body. But they're real. Demons are real. Satan's real. Jesus talked to Satan. And Satan talked back. Jesus cast out devils. He was not reaching down to a pagan people and and coming in a way that they would understand. No, there really is a devil. And there really are demon spirits. But against persons without bodies evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world. Who rules this world? Evil princes of darkness, demonic spirits. The the, the biggest lie you ever heard is that there's there's a hurricane and they say act of God. That's not an act of God. As an act of the devil. Evil princes of darkness. I know people get so mad when I say this. I've heard people say, well, that's not God. You can't say that. God's in control. If If it happened, God made it happen. And I tell them, well, if that's true, how can I preach this? Because if God didn't want me to preach it, I couldn't preach it. Think about that. It may take you a while. and against a huge number of wicked spirits in the spiritual world. So our enemy is not people. Our enemy is demonic forces, Satan and demon power. But now, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man, this is mankind, man or woman, be in Christ, you're a new creature or a new creation, and old things have passed away. Now, notice if anyone be. Now, some of your translations, the best translations say in union with Christ. But it means is this, when you receive him, what happens is you become, you you are connected to what Jesus did. You, You are crucified with Christ. You're buried with Christ. You're raised with Christ. And you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Right? That's what it means. Now, notice it says if anyone be. It doesn't say if you're trying to be, or you want to be, or you ought to be, or you're someday going to be. It's amazing how many people I'll talk to and say, are you a Christian? I'll say, I'm trying to be. I hope so. I want to be. No, if you're in Christ, you be. You be a new creation. The, the, The Living Bible says it like this. When someone becomes a Christian, he's a brand new person on the inside. Listen, 
Your being in union with Christ is more important than your nationality, than your ethnicity, than your education, than your political persuasion, than your gender, than any other thing that you can think of, any other demographic. The most important thing is, are you in Christ? You see, when God looks at the world, you're either connected to Adam, the first Adam, and everything he did, or you're connected to Christ and everything that he did. Right? So that's how God looks. And we've got to see it that way. When anyone is united to Christ, there is a new world. Woo, I like that. There is a new world. That's the world we should be focused on. Dane translation says, and a true Christian is not merely a man altered, but a man remade. You are no longer connected to Adam. You are connected to Christ, right? And what Christ has done in God's economy, you've done. You were crucified with him. You were buried with him. You were raised with him. And you're seated together with him in heavenly places, far above principality, power, might, dominion, every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Now, one more verse before we go. All right. uh, the, the last book in your, in your Bible is the book of Revelation. Right before there, there's a little book. It's just one chapter, just a little bitty book. But man, is it powerful. All right. In the third verse, Jude is writing, and he said this. Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. Our common salvation. Now, what that means is this. That when you were saved, if you can imagine this, imagine that God gave you a box, big bow on it, right? and you open that box up, and inside that box, there's some stuff in there. But your friend got the same box, and if there was healing in his box, there's healing in your box. If there was deliverance in his box, there's deliverance in your box. If there's deliverance, peace in his box, there's peace in your box. Right? Our salvation is common, not in its quality, but in the fact that every person who receives Jesus gets the same box, the same salvation. And, we, and you might think, well, God likes them more. They're, they're like God's pet. How many in school teacher had a pet? And you were not it. <laughs> right? And you think, man, they just get away with everything. Well, that's not true with God, right? Because when you receive Jesus, you get a salvation package, a common salvation. And anything God is ever going to do for anybody comes out of the box. And if it's in their box, it's in your box. All right. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. Let me just say two things about that. The Christian faith, what Christianity is, was given once. For who? All. A lot of people will tell us, yeah, he gave it to the first century Christians, but then it's not for us anymore. No. What Christianity is supposed to look like is exactly what it looked like in a book of Acts, in Romans and Corinthians. That's what Christianity is supposed to look like. Now, I heard this story. This couple had been married for 50 years, right? And they're driving down the road, you know? Daddy's driving. Mom's sitting over there. And Mama says to Daddy, she says, 
She says, honey, you remember, you know, you used to put your arm around me. You'd hug me. You'd whisper things in my ear. You know, honey, you haven't done that in years. He's driving. He said, honey, I haven't moved. Some of you will get that later. <laughs> Basically, what he's saying is, honey, I've been driving. You used to sit close, but you're not anymore. He's saying, I haven't changed. I want to say something. God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. The gospel that was given is the same gospel that we have today. It's a gospel where Jesus saves, heals, delivers, sets free, gives us peace, assigns to his righteousness. It is the same gospel. Now, he said, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. I want you to catch this. Jude is writing in the first century about 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus. He's writing this. And already people are beginning to drift from the faith. Right? How much more? How much have you seen it happening today? Uh, many of you will not remember this. Obviously, you won't remember this. Some of you will have studied this. All right? About 300 years ago, in Hermhut, Germany, there was a tremendous move of God. They, the, the, the move of God was so great, listen, that they had a prayer meeting 24 hours a day for 100 years. 24 hours a day for 100 years. Right? They sent more missionaries per capita than any group has ever done. Right? They had people that were literally, they sold themselves as slaves in order to go to places to be able to preach the gospel, right? Recently, they began to ordain homosexuals in, as pastors. How do you come from a move of God where there's literally, there's a prayer meeting 24 hours a day for 100 years to the place where you're ordaining homosexuals into the ministry? How do you come to that place? Right? A little bit at a time. You just drift a little bit at a time and a little bit at a time. So 40 years after the resurrection, he's writing and he said, I'm exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. I want you to listen to me. We are living in a culture today where people, but major politicians have said, we need to change what the church teaches and believes. Listen, this is not their church. This is Jesus' church. And nobody has a right, nobody has a right to change what the church of Jesus Christ believes, all right? And he's not changing it. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? You know, I, I mentioned recently <clears throat> the one of the things that's different about Christianity in any other religion, right, is that Christianity has a savior. You don't save yourself. I, I could say it this way. 
that religion gives lessons, but Jesus gives life. Religion gives lessons, but Jesus gives life. He said, the thief, the devil, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I've come that you could have life and have it abundantly. And I don't know where you're at today. If I said, How, what's your life? Some of you would say it's good. Some would say it's bad. Some would say it's my job. Some it's my family. But the truth is this. The only true life is the life that God has for you. A whale was created to swim in an ocean. An eagle was created to fly in the sky. And you were created to have a relationship with God. That's what you were created to do. The Bible actually tells that when you get right with God, it calls it the good life that God prearranged and made ready for you to live. You may be going your own way, but Jesus came that you could have life and have it abundantly. And it's not when you go your way, it's when you go his way. You were created for relationship with him. And if you're here today away from God, not right with God, and you say, Pastor, I want to be right with God. I want to be forgiven. And I want to be a part of his kingdom. I want to live for Jesus. I want to turn my back on my old life. And I want Jesus to come in, make me new, and give me his life. If that's you, what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray a prayer together. And the Bible says, whosoever, that's you, will call on the name of the Lord. That's what we're going to do. Will be saved. If you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, God is going to come by his spirit and he's going to make you a new creature in Christ, a new creation. The old is going to pass away and you're going to become a new person in Christ. So I'm going to ask everybody, bow your head, pray this prayer out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm not living for myself any longer. I'm going to live for Jesus. He is my king and my Lord. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That my past is gone. That I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.